we're going to check out again what our attitude should be because we're doing a series on the Beatitudes and this is the I believe the next to last message and then we will finish our series on that uh, since we will after finishing today and then next week we'll have all of our attitudes will be in place and we'll we'll just be glorious wonderful people that that do all of these and we'll but really, we'll know to do that. We'll put it that way. And this is the path that we're on in that. So just by way, we're going to be looking today uh, specifically at blessed are the peacemakers. But let's just start in, in uh, verse 3 and just read. I'll just read those two again as, as just uh, bring into remembrance where we are and where we've been. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And then this is today's message. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We'll be looking at verse 8 primarily, and then we'll, we'll close it out at verse number 9 there. So, blessed are the peacemakers. God's calling us and, and reminding us, even from this early uh, passage that we have in Scripture, as we've been going through the Beatitudes, and we said before, the Beatitudes are what our attitudes should be. They don't always line up with that. And just because we've gone through the series doesn't mean that we've lined up with that. But at least we have a blueprint now. At least we have uh, something for us that's like a roadmap that we can understand. And I just would encourage you as we're going through it today and as we're continuing to go through it in the uh, next week or two as we wrap up this, that this should be a passage of Scripture that I just encourage you to go back and read, you know, once every week or so. And to just maybe maybe even just take one or two of the verses and just kind of meditate on them and, and ask the Lord to just speak to you on how you can apply those. And as I said, we do have the, the CDs over there and um, have a good number of them on podcast now. Our son is doing that from Philadelphia and that kind of weird? I mail, I mail the CDs to Philadelphia, and then he goes over and takes care of them, gets them on, you know, through the, the somehow through the waves that go through the air, and he gets them over there so you can watch them on a podcast on our website if you want to catch up on some of those there. Okay, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, when we talk about being blessed or peacemakers, literally what we're looking at in a simple definition is that the peacemakers are the true subjects of the Prince of Peace. Remember, that was one, there were as many names that we see in the New Testament and even from the Old Testament that Jesus was given descriptions. One of the things that we need to remember is that Jesus was called and is named the Prince of Peace. And that's something that we want to be models. We want to emulate our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We want to, to understand and walk in the ways that he did. And so we need to understand that, that if people are going to mistake us, look at us and mistake us, for being Jesus, that will never happen. But hopefully, that when they look at us, there'll be something about us. And one of those things that can truly, truly be a witness to others is that when we walk and live in the counsel of peace and that our very lives are that. So many times our lives are, are not dominated by or not, not focused about peace. They're more dominated and focused by turmoil, by difficulties, by uh, difficult times and hard places that we go in or uh, some unbelief or some anger, hurt, some of the other areas that we looked at in these Beatitudes. But we want to talk about being peacemakers. Remember, it's important to know as we talk about blessed are the peacemakers that we're talking about peacemakers 
and not just peace lovers. You know, in the times of history through our nation, there have been times where it's emphasized that, you know, we, we should love each other, and we are, we are called to love one another in that. But it's not just that we love for peace, that we, we love for things to be at peace. We don't want warfare. We don't want strife. We don't want all those difficult things. We need to understand that, that the peacemakers are not just ones that love peace, but they're that ones that, that do peace and that endeavor to, to live lives that are peaceful and that are blessing. The Hebrew word for peace is the word, you probably know this one, shalom. And shalom means peace, but it goes so far beyond that. Because it, it speaks not only of peace, but it speaks of a peace that brings the blessing of the presence of the Lord. And so, and so when we're looking at that, it's not just shalom, peace. What we're saying here is blessed are the peacemakers, but it's blessed are those that are blessed because of the presence of peace in their hearts and in their lives. That's God's call for us. Well, if there's anything in our culture, in our country today, and in our day-to-day walks that we need to demonstrate in our lives is we need to demonstrate um, the beatitude of peacefulness, of being at peace and being at rest and, and, and not angry. You know, a good test for us on, on whether we just exude and walk and live and demonstrate peace is how we respond or how we react in a time of suddenly when a car cuts us off or something happens like that, you know? And our immediate response is, because we're going through the Beatitudes, God bless you, brother, you know? Lord, thanks for that test. That really helped me get, you know? You know. No, usually our prayer is, after a while, it's like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. Forgive me again. You know, would you wash that away? Would you erase that? Would you work on my heart in that? Because we know how we... Re- I'm not speaking about you, I'm speaking about me and some other people I know in that. Not, not part of this church or anything. But blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who bless others with the peace of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if we're going to impart peace to others, we have to be someone that is being blessed and is living and washing continually in the presence of the peace of the Lord. So peacemaking is not just the absence of trouble. But instead, it also is a positive thing and a forward-looking thing because it's everything that makes for the good. You know, blessed are the peacemakers, not just those that tries to deal with the everyday trouble and take care of those, but those that are actually looking in their lives and in their hearts and their walk with God to be peacemakers that brings people together, that encourages people, that, you know, that, that brings resolution to a conflict or something like that. So, so important. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 41. We'll look at some of these today and others I'll just quote for you. So you don't have to look up so many. But Mark chapter 4 and verse 41. This is the story of Jesus. When he was out on, on, on the sea and with his disciples. And his disciples, these are the guys that were in you know, peacemaking 101, right? They had the, the, the son of God that was on the boat. He was the prince of peace. And so he's there, but there, in this time, it says, verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat, so it nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, I don't think these disciples would have ever said something like that to Jesus if they weren't truly terrified. 
You know, and even these tough fishermen, Peter and all the other guys, the disciples that were so tough and so strong, here they get on a, on a, a windy and a, where the water is rough, and the truth was is they knew the waters, they knew the winds, and they knew when it was safe and they knew when it was dangerous. And in their estimation, they felt like they were in a time of danger. And then in the midst of that, they were like, where's Jesus? Well, he's asleep. He's not asleep at the wheel. He's asleep in the stern. You know, he's sleeping at the boat. And their response was, teacher, don't you care if we drown? This is the amazing part. And this is why Jesus passed this beatitude. You know, they didn't. Jesus was the peace of God. He carried the peace of the presence of God. He was God incarnate, the Son of God incarnate. And so he's on this, this, this boat, and the boat's going up and down and everything else, and you know, and I don't know about you, but it's hard, probably hard to sleep in times like that. But Jesus is at peace, and Jesus is at rest. And really what he's demonstrating to his disciples is that even in times of turmoil, even in times of apparent danger, that if you have the peace of God on board, it's going to be okay. But see, they weren't focused on that. They were focused on what they knew in their minds and as fishermen and being on boats that they were going to drown, and Jesus wasn't even going to do anything. He was taking a nap. And how dare he do that? And we need to understand that God is calling us to, that even in the times that we have difficulty, in the times that we aren't being peacemakers, but instead we're angry or are going the other direction, we need to understand that no matter where we are and whatever's going on, that the God of peace is with us. He is with us. When we ask the Lord Jesus to come in, the Holy Spirit to come in to our hearts and our lives, the, peace, the presence of God, the peace of God, he is with us. He is walking with us. He's there all the time. And even when we don't feel him, even when they're crying out, Lord, what's wrong? Why aren't you there? All it had to do was that the God of peace spoke to the storm. And when the peace of God was imparted by, by the Lord Jesus, that peace brought peace to the storm. And the waves dropped. And you see, what we've got to understand if we're going to be peacemakers is we have to choose to focus not upon the winds and the waves and the apparent danger or difficulty or frustration or whatever else is coming our way. If we're going to be peacemakers, we have to focus and live and speak out of and live out of and respond out of, not react, but respond out of the peace of God that can sleep even in times of apparent danger. That's the peace of God there. So it's not a passive piety that we're talking about here. We're talking about an active battle for peace on every level, in our hearts, in our lives, you know. And so the idea is, is that as we go to Lunch Bunch or wherever today and, and the days and the weeks to come, that we want to be peacemakers, but we want to actively pursue that. We want to, as I said with Shalom, we want to release the shalom of God, the peace of God, the presence of God, the anointing of the Lord, with our, with our attitudes and with our, our responses and with, with our walk with the Lord. And who was it that one place talked about that all the things that we needed to do with people and that sometimes we need to use words? You know, the truth is, is even when we don't speak, we're communicating. Even when we, you know, if, if we're very, very frightened, people know that. Children can pick up on that very quickly, can't they? You know, if the parent's afraid, they, they, they can pick up on that. If there's peace with the parents, can impart that. And that's part of peacemaking that God's called us to do. You know, the only place of peace without effort is if you're underground, <laughs> you know. And so what we need to understand 
is God wants to bring peace to us while we're above ground as well in, in our walk with him. Job chapter 22, verse 21. I'm just going to read this passage to you. Submit to God and be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. Now, sometimes we focus and sometimes there's, I think, maybe a little bit of overboard focus on prosperity and other things. I do believe that Scripture says God wants to prosper us. He wants to take care of our needs and he wants to bless us. But I think that we understand that the foundation and the whole structure of that is over the kingdom of God and advancing the kingdom of God, what the Lord has in us and through us in the process. But in submitting to God, that's when we're in the, let's say we're in the midst of the storm, we're in the midst of, of the waves, we're in the midst of a difficult place, we're in the midst of anger or hurt or, or other things that are going on. That in those times that prosperity comes or the presence of God comes, the peace of God comes when we submit ourselves to the Lord. We're in the midst of a difficult place that we say, Lord, I don't understand. My emotions are certainly not in line with this. But would you bring your peace? Would you bring your rest? Would you bring in your timing the understanding so that I can understand and have peace in my heart and that I can be a peacemaker for other people? Because that's what the Lord has called us as a church, the body of Christ, to be. Um, So many times I, I feel like that what we are in the body of Christ, instead of being peacemakers, is we're more alarmist. Okay, and there's times to blow the trumpet. I mean, that's very biblical to blow the trumpet. But a lot of times we just like blowing a trumpet to, to, make, to, blow, to make some noise, right? And we get focused on that, and, and the end result is not peace. It just, you know, like peace like a river that settles down. It's more like getting people agitated and upset and angry and fearful and that sort of thing. And, and, and um, that's not the heart of, of peacemaking that we want to look at that. Peace with God and peace with ourselves in the whole process. Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4, uh, and verse 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I love this because he said do it twice. He says, I will say it again, rejoice. Why do you have to say that twice? Because sometimes it doesn't get through the first time, does it? Or the second time, or many times. Especially when we're not at peace or we don't feel like rejoicing, you know, or we're in our pity party or whatever else. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. In other words, that when people see us, and gentleness is not just shown in what we do, but it's shown by who we are, what we say, and how we react or respond in that situation. And so what we see here from this is it says, let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. You see, Jesus on that boat was near. He was just a few feet away. He was just one shake away from from waking up. It wasn't like he'd abandoned them. The Lord is near. Verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all your understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now see, that's something we've got to understand. This is not a matter of figuring it out. Anybody ever tried to do that? You ever tried to figure stuff out? It's like, if I just get a handle on this, I can figure it out. Well, there's a lot of things. We just we can put all the hands and handles we want to on it, but it just doesn't seem to work that way. And that's one of the things of peace. Is peace is not something we can manipulate. 
Peace is something that we learn to embrace, that we learn to become, that we learn to walk in, and then out of that we respond in that way. That's what the Lord is calling us to do there. The peace of God transcends our understanding. It just basically is saying there, we can't understand the peace of God. We can't understand that the Lord can be sleeping and resting in the midst of an apparent storm that was dangerous, and yet there was peace, and he was at peace. And why was he at peace? Because he knew his father was going to take care of him. And we need to, that's part of what we need to remember in the whole process as well. The peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. Isaiah chapter 32. Isaiah 32, verses 17 through 20. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places and secure homes and undisturbed places of rest. Though hail flattens the forest and the city is level completely, how blessed will you be sowing your seed by the stream, letting your cattle and your donkeys range free? You see, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of righteousness is right relationship. And that's part of what we're talking about in peace. Part of the right relationship that the Father is calling us to is the right relationship of peace that we can, can, can live in that, the fruit and the fruitfulness that we have is peace and quietness and confidence and living in peaceful dwelling. Have you ever gone into someone's home and, um, and it wasn't anything you could put your finger on or anything else, but there was just a peace about the place? Have you ever been in a place and you walk in, you couldn't see anything in the natural, but there wasn't peace there? It's like, oh no, did I just walk in on a bad, you know, what's that phrase? Did I come at a bad time? You know, that sort of thing. Of course, we always don't tell the truth there. It's, oh, no, everything's great, you know. And then, well, we won't go there. That's another message. We'll look at it another time. But God's called us to be, to be peaceful, to, to enter into quietness, to enter into his confidence, dwell in peaceful dwelling places in that. And so that's the calling of the Lord for us in that. Proverbs 16, verse 7 says that, um, his ways, um, this is speaking of the one that's walking in peace, are, are pleasing. And it says, well, let, let me just look at that. I want to get the whole the passage here. It's just real short. Proverbs 16 and verse 7. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes their enemies to make peace with them. Boy, I just say, Lord, I want you to take pleasure in my life. So that even when I, there's, if there's enemies or there's difficulties or strife that's coming, that just because walking in your way, that you'll take care and bring peace even before the battle erupts. Isn't that great? I mean, that's, that's some own stuff I added there. But just the Lord wants to do that. He wants to impart the peace, and that's what blessed are the peacemakers. And again, all of these have this same focus that, that when we look at the blessing and the blessedness of, of certain situations, it has an effect on us, but so many times it's dealing with other people, dealing with other situations, dealing with what we might call the nitty-gritty of life and walking our way through that. Peace with our family. Some of the three major areas of peacemaking that we can have is... Um, 
um, peace with our family. You know, and that can be a tough place. The family is the framework of the church. But also sometimes it can be one of our largest battlefields. And please, no raising of hands because this is not a day to deal with that. But sometimes the, the peace and the difficulties that we have, you know, we're, um, we're supposed to help one another and love one another, encourage one another. We'll look at some passages just a little bit in this. As a matter of fact, we'll do that now. Because not only are we called to have peace with God and peace with our, in our own selves, but we're called to have peace with our family. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, verse 21 through chapter 6, uh, verse 4. This will be our longest passage of scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Everybody's favorite word starts, submit. Submit to who? To one another, to each other, out of reverence for Christ. And so understand that the foundation, okay, we're going to read through this, and that's kind of like what he's, what's building up here, but the foundation of what it's talking about here is mutual submission to one another based out of revering the presence of our Lord Jesus. So submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now remember we're speaking about peacemaking here. We're not speaking about trying to get verses you can use against one another. That's not what he's talking about at all. Submit to one another in, in whatever family or whatever um, situation you're in out of reverence to Christ. Why submit yourself to your own husbands as you do the Lord? For the husband's the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the body, his church, of which he's a savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so why should submit to their husbands? And then he says, verse number 25, and it's interesting because sometimes husbands can really sink their teeth into that one, and it's almost they don't, like they don't read past there in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. And here's the standard for loving your wives. And my wife is listening right now. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water, and through the word, to present her to him as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Isn't that interesting that sometimes we can have difficulty in loving or embracing or encouraging or being friends with others, and it's really not that we're so much angry at them, but that we're carrying anger and bitterness and unforgiveness in our own heart. And God wants to heal that, and God needs to heal that. That's all part of peacemaking and being peacemakers in that whole process. That God wants to do that. He wants to make us as the church, as, as the radiant body of Christ in the whole process. Verse 30 says, We are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother united with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he says, this is profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So we're talking about Christ or the Lord Jesus and the church. Who's the church? We're the church, you know, and it doesn't matter. I mean, the church or the body of Christ, it can just be one person in the presence of the Lord. You know, that's not, that's not the important thing there. The important thing is to remember that we are all part of the body of Christ. We're all part of the church. We're all part, and that's the analogy he's using here when he's talking about relationship of husband and wife, and he goes on and works his way down through children. Uh, chapter 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, 
for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So may go well with you that you may enjoy the long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Wow, that's a big word. You know, what, what could we say today? You know, don't, don't hit the button that makes them upset. You know, don't push them. You know, as, have you ever heard anyone say, if you go any further, you know, or there's kind of draw a line, don't, don't push me, don't say, you know, that. We do that with kids sometimes. And, and one of the things, and as we're older and we look kind of not just forward but backwards, you know, sometimes we said do a lot of repenting. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Would you, wash, would you just wash away the effects of the time where instead of loving and, and, and being careful and being concerning and being helpful, that I imparted other things that were there? And guess what? The Lord is, is outside of time and space. I mean, he is, knows the beginning of the parade, the end of the parade, everything in between. And he can bring his healing to us in any time in our lives. And so we can rejoice in that. But God's called us in the family to have peace in our family, the framework of the locust church, local church the body ground that we have there. And then Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Is that where we just were? I'm sorry. Let's look at James chapter 3. Okay, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that the, those who teach will be judged more strictly. Isn't that wonderful? That's just so glad. To, in other words, you know, I, I'm supposed to be walking at a different standard, you know, and, uh, um, and I'm very conscious of that. And the Lord helped me. We're working on that. Okay, but not, not many should become teachers because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anybody never stumble? Good, we're going to speak on truth today. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, isn't that interesting? We're talking about these, these areas of peacemaking, that one of the things that can keep us completely in line is that if we never at fault in what we say. And you say, well, that sounds easy. No, it's not, because that's the truth. And, and a lot of times it's not just saying, but it's also thinking. It's also dwelling upon it. And maybe it's not saying it to them, but where we say it to other, what was that? <laughs> say it to other people. And, uh, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Gotcha. So um, let me go on from there. And he goes on and he talks about from this passage. Let's see, where was I, Kathy? I'm sorry, I got distracted looking down. Okay. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or we take ships as example. Though they're large and driven by winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Is that true? That's really true. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, 
a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is, is itself set on fire by hell. And so does that mean we should all go out and cut our tongues out? Well, that'd make worship pretty tough, wouldn't it? And that sort of thing. No, what he's saying is recognizing that we, and it actually goes on to talk about how even animals are tamed, and yet we have through the tongue a deadly poison that we have difficulty dealing with in that. But we just need to understand God wants to transform our hearts. He wants to transform our minds. He wants to transform us to the place that we can walk and live in peace and not just be at peace, but be peacemakers, be those that sow peace and, and release peace to others in that. Verse 9 says, With the tongue we praise the Lord and our Father, and, if we, and, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. That, I know that's something we struggle with. Is that on one hand, you know, we can speak from the Lord and, and, and try to speak something that encourages someone or helps them. And then just a few minutes later, we can get agitated or something happens. Instead of blessing someone, it's almost like we're cursing them in that. And, um, you know, and it just, just shows sometimes that split in our mind and our spirit. And that we have an intention, we have a desire, we think we have a desire, but it's a battle. It's something that we go through. It's something that we walk through. And so, again, if we're going to be those that sow peace, we're going to have to have peace in our own hearts, peace in our own lives. James chapter 3, uh, verse 13 through 18. No, I'm sorry, we've already read that one. We'll skip that one, yeah. Hebrews 12, verses 14 through 15 says this, that we should be at peace with all men. Peace with all men. And it talks about in this passage that in our relationship with one another, men or women, that there needs to be no roots of bitterness. No roots of bitterness. You know, a bitter root is, is something that, that comes in us. You know, we're speaking in, not in, in the, we're speaking the supernatural now. But it's something that comes in us and it grows in us. And then growing in that, it becomes very painful. I remember, and this is not very spiritual, and Kathy will probably talk to me afterwards about it. But anyway, I just, I just thought about, um, and now see I'm in trouble again. So, but I remember when I was at ORU, and I started having pain under my feet, the ball of my feet. And I went to the doctor, and he says, oh, you have something called planter's warts. And I'm like, well, what, what do we do about that? And he says, we burn them out. And I said, what's door number two? <laughs> and I read that. And uh, he said, we burn them out. And so he did that. He did some burning and everything. And um, um, But then a few days or a week later, they were hurting again. And he says, oh, I guess we missed a few. You know, and I, with great humility and love, said, well, let's make sure we didn't miss, don't miss them again, you know. But what happened there was the fire was applied. And when the fire was applied, something that was eating its way in and causing much pain was destroyed, and, and they were gone. They were eventually gone, although it took two times to get it done. And that just came to me because I was thinking about that sometimes, is that, is that it's much like that when it comes to the things of, of the presence of God and the peace of God. It's like that we've got these things in us, in our hearts, in our minds, or in our bodies that are just, that are bringing pain, and then bringing pain, 
You know, we react to that and it just goes deeper and deeper. And so we have to ask the Holy Spirit, we ask, have to ask the Lord to come, the great physician, to bring his fire and his touch to burn away those places that are causing pain because we're embracing something or something's coming in that has an ill effect on our hearts. So that's what we have to do. We have to deal with that root of bitterness. And that's where that came to me, that root of bitterness there. Romans 12, 9 through 21 says this, If possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone and be sure not to take revenge. The truth is that sometimes, you know, Romans 12, 9 through 21, the truth is, is that sometimes when we're trying to be at peace with someone is that we can be at peace on our end, but they're not necessarily at peace on their end. Isn't that true? And so that's just something that where we have to be at peace with, with, with them as much as we can, but then we have to be at peace with ourselves and at peace with our Lord and just pray, Lord, you know, just open the door more so that we can deal with that, deal with that situation. That's why the scripture says there in Romans 12, you know, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with, with everyone. And then it talks about don't take revenge. You know, don't take revenge. And so many times it's easy to take revenge. It's like, you know, it's, it's like the guy that talked about, okay, you know, I'm going to give you three strikes and you're out. And it's almost like we gleefully wait. There's one, there's two, there's three. Well, I'm just really glad that I'm not under some number from God, even if it was three or three million, you know, because they would quickly be used up in the process. And we have to understand that he's again calling us to be at peace with him in our hearts. And as we're peace with him, peace with our fellow men, that helps us in being at peace with God and peace in the other ways as well. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And verses 1 through 15. Okay. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 15. Since then you've been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above, for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he goes through a list here, okay? And then you say, well, a lot of these I don't need. Well, that's, you know, if there's one, that's one too many says, but put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to earthly nature, sexual immorality. Think there's a little of that in our world today? Just a bit. Impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. You know, one of the things that I love about Scripture, but is also painful, is it's so blunt. It's so clear. It's like, you know, it shows us really what he meant there. And he says, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now that's said, well, that doesn't line up with the peace of God. Well, of course it doesn't line up with the peace of God. That's the whole point of it. There, what he's saying is that if we choose to have these in our hearts and our lives, especially even to a lifestyle, that it, then we're not going to be peacemakers. We're going to be peace destroyers in our own hearts and our families and with others. We're, because we're going to sow, you know, out of the heart, it's what comes out. You know, that, that's, that's what comes out. It's what's in our heart in that. 
He says, you must also rid yourselves of these things as anger and rage and malice, slander, filthy language. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator. There is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, and the list goes on. Verse 12 says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, and this is what we're supposed to wear, clothe yourselves with compassion. Compassion. In other words, when we see someone or we see a situation that normally it would make us angry or we would just say no in that, that we're, we have to, again, every time look in the mirror of our heart and say, Lord, I want a pure heart. And if you want me to help this person, you want me to do something here, you want me to, to, to bless in this, Lord, would you just show me clearly and renew my heart and help me to do this so that I can bless and, and not curse in the whole process. Clove yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, that's, that's a challenge. That means if you've got ought against your brother or ought against your sister, you know, you, there's, a, there's a problem there. Not only do you need to forgive them, but you want to forgive them, and I want to forgive them. We need to forgive them in a way that represents how much we want the Lord to wipe our slate clean. Boy, that puts a new perspective on it. Bear with one another. Forgive um, one another. If you have any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And all, over these, all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. So again, we just have the, the admonition and the call of the Lord of how we should treat each other how we should be peacemakers and how it can practically walk out in that whole process. Proverbs chapter 6, you don't have to turn now, I can read it for you. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Did you know that there are areas that God, there's some things God hates? This is it in Proverbs. It says, there are six things the Lord hates. There's probably more than six, but there's these six. Seven that are detestable to him. There, there's a, one right there. Haughty eyes. Does anybody know what haughty eyes are? Yeah, okay, I thought so. Uh, well, ask over said yes <laughs> later after the message there. Okay, haughty eyes, you know, that's where there's, there, that's where there's pride, that's where there's, let's, I, I like defining haughty eyes this way. That's when you're looking down on someone, okay? That's where your, your kind of response is like, they're, they're inferior to me, you know, they're inferior to me in that. Um, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, that is not telling the truth. And that's not meaning that, that you, that's meaning that you told the, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, right? And sometimes we think we tell the truth, but we really kind of colored it in a way to make it look better. Understand I'm talking about there. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises uh, wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, and a false witness who pours out lies a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Even, we could even say even in the body of Christ that that takes place. So again, very, very clearly, these are the things that God doesn't like, that he doesn't want us to have in our hearts and our lives and the churches. I wrote this down. I forget where I got it from. It says, the one who divides men does the work of the devil. When we're dividing each other 
and that's more the fruit of our life, then we're just doing, I mean, it's, it's almost like we've told the devil, here, take a holiday, we'll fill in for you. You know, and that's, that's not what we want to happen there. We don't, we don't want to do that. But in the call that we have to be peacemakers, those that make peace and live in peace and sow peace and reproduce peace, that in doing that, we want to do the Lord's work. The one who brings people together is the one that does the work of the Lord. And then as we, we finish this up, it says literally that those who do this will be called peacemakers. That's what we said at the end of that this beatitude. Peacemakers will be called the sons or daughters, or we could say the children of God. Man, I just want to be, I love that song, you know, about, about being God's son, being God's daughter, you know, just the whole thing of that. God wants us, that when people looks at us, they said, oh, this is a son of the Father. This is a son of God. This is a son that, that's endeavoring to, to demonstrate the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it's all about. That's the peace that we want to sow. We want to be peacemakers that do that. Because it says these are the, called the sons of God. And the reason for that is they demonstrate the character of the Father. One last passage. Let me read it to you. And we'll be done. Psalm 133, verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together and unity. But you could stop right there because there's a lot of times that God's people don't live together in unity. You know what? One of the most contentious areas and things that happen in churches all the time is, and, and sometimes it's good because sometimes it could be like a church plant where one church plants another church. We, we did that in Minden and, and different places like that. But you see, sometimes it says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity is that there isn't unity or there can be anger. There can be other things that come in like that. But this is the, this is the model. This is the foundation the Lord wants us to have in our walk with him. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. I'm just gonna, we're just going to close. I'm just going to pray that to the Lord, okay, as our closing. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that that you haven't just told us things, but you have modeled for us what it is to be men and women and children of peace. And not just ones that love peace or want peace, but that, Lord, you've called us to be peacemakers. Jesus, I just pray that you would bring into my heart and my life and our family and the family of this church and the body of Christ and, oh, Lord, the extended body of Christ, that, Lord, that we would live together that there wouldn't be competition, that there wouldn't be anger, there wouldn't be splits, and there wouldn't be hurts and wounds and so much. But God, that you would allow us as your people to dwell together in unity, that we could dwell together in peace, that, Lord, that people could come and look at us and, and just by observing us would say, oh, how the peace of God is there, how the love of God is there, how the presence of God is there, simply because... We want to be peacemakers. Lord, cause that to happen in our lives. Let the oil of your spirit, the oil of your presence, let it fall upon our heads now. Let it fall and, 
and fall down upon us and run down our beards, our faces. And, and oh God, I just pray that you bring that anointing of your presence. That Jesus, as we go today, that you will deal with the hurts and the wounds and the anger. That you'll deal with the, with the hardness of heart. That you'll deal with, with those places that, that need some resolution, that need some, some cleaning and purity. Oh, Lord Jesus, we want to be a church, a place of your habitation, and not just a visitation. So, God, prepare our hearts. Let us, as a body of Christ, be that place of habitation so that you can abide and that we can, can take to those around us your presence, your love, your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Again, God bless, and, and as always... Um,